0: Last week on All Saints Day I preached about Daniel's vision of four beasts rising up from the earth and the Ancient of Days sitting on his throne and a man who looked like a son of man coming on the clouds to take over a kingdom. And I challenged you that in the spite of the ravages of sin and the horror and grief of death, to set your eyes on the one who conquers all four of those beasts and invites all of his saints into his kingdom that lasts forever and ever and ever and ever. This week we get Paul speaking in a very about a very similar thing but in a very different way. He's not speaking in visions that need to be interpreted. He's telling us pretty directly and he's not speaking abstractly about us, Son of Man, he's speaking about Jesus particularly. And the expectation that Jesus will return and orient all of creation, including all of his people, towards him and towards his Father. That he will overthrow lawlessness and Satan and all the powers of evil with simply the breath of his mouth and the splendor of his arrival. With just his breathing And his arrival, death will fall away. Evil will dissipate. All of it will disappear. Just at Jesus' arrival, he doesn't even have to speak, just his breath transforms evil that quickly. And Paul says that in the time before that, it's going to be hard to tell the difference about who is lawless and who is faithful. Because the lawless will be deceitful. They will be full of lies. They will perform false miracles. It will look like maybe God is on their side. But those who love truth will be separated from those who do not. And that those who do what God has commanded will be separated from those who do not. And Paul speaks this word of judgment and even condemnation. And then he turns back to the church and he says, but to you, brothers and sisters, we cannot stop giving thanks because of the work that Jesus is doing in your midst. Jesus has called you out of lawlessness and into his truth and the sanctifying, making you holy work of his spirit. And it's really important that he doesn't He doesn't mix up these things. He he holds these things together over and over again as he writes truth and sanctification, the word and deed, the way that these things live together makes Christian faithfulness. Belief and fidelity are matched together in the grace of God. This is true all the way through the chapter that we just read. So he says, Jesus has invited you into this, into truth and into holiness, and we're giving thanks for that, but you are going to have to stand firm and hold on to the teachings that we have brought to you. He says, pay attention to the teachings that we've given to you by word, that which you've heard by our preaching and by letter, that which is written down for you, that you can go back and read and remember. Stand firm and hold to these teachings that you have so that you can be strengthened by Jesus, again, in deed and word. He pairs these things together over and over again, calling us to pay attention. But as we read this, there's a question lurking under the surface that we might miss. Am I the only one here who likes Jeopardy? Anybody like Jeopardy? Six people. We have six people who like Jeopardy. Um, So in Jeopardy... It's a little bit confusing as a game show because they give you the answer, and then you have to give the question, right? Uh, So you always have to answer the question, what is or who is, and then you say what the clue is pointing you to. Well, sometimes with Scripture, we need to read in this way. What question is Paul answering as he writes to the church? If he's calling them to faithfulness in word and in deed, in truth and in action, if that's the answer... to to what we need to do, why do we need to do it? And Paul frames his answer around speaking about the coming of the Lord at the beginning and at the end of the text. Paul is telling the church how to wait. Paul is telling the church how to wait for the coming of the Lord, and waiting is tremendously hard. It's a little bit easier for me now, unless my phone dies, right? I have emails I can look through or news articles I can read. But when I was a kid, it was really hard to wait. The magazines in the waiting room were never what I really wanted to read or are always like six months old. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Waiting is miserable. Time could not move any more slowly than when your primary task is to wait. Uh, We have sayings about this, a watch pot never boils, right? It's not that it takes longer if you're looking at it, but it sure feels like it takes longer if that's the only thing that you're waiting for. We as humans do not like to wait, especially if we don't know what the holdup is. Have you ever been in traffic and you were so angry that traffic was stopped, and then you learned that there was a car wreck up ahead and you were more okay with it? Is that just me, I guess, okay? Okay. If we know what we're waiting for, if we know what the holdup is, if we know why the stained glass windows aren't here, then maybe we can feel a little better about it. But if we don't know, it's just hard to wait. Was that? y'all didn't like that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So there's a, a movie that likewise does not make it obvious that it is about... Waiting, But it's one of my favorites. Katie and I watch it at least once a year on February 2nd. It came out in 1993. So if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry that I'm going to give you spoilers about it. But you've had a long time (laughs) to watch it. It's called Groundhog Day. uh, And it stars Bill Murray. And Bill Murray is not, he's not a nice person. He's generally unhappy. He's a weatherman. Uh, And he thinks very highly of himself, he treats other people very poorly, and he does not want to go to Philadelphia or Punxsutawney and celebrate Groundhog's Day. But as the weatherman, it's his responsibility, and he goes. And he's mean to everybody on the crew with him, he's just a jerk to everybody around, and it's his worst day of the year. Rather than getting to stay home and do the weather as he's trained to do, he has to go and report on what happens with a silly rodent that he doesn't think very highly of. And so the whole day goes through, and it's a terrible day, and he's terrible to everyone, and he, he gets snowed in and stuck there for another night, and he wakes up this, the next morning, except it's not the next morning. It's Groundhog Day again. And again, and again, and again, this unhappy man has to live on the unhappiest of all of his days over and over and over again. And at first he feels like it's a curse. He tries every way he can to get out of things. He cannot escape this terrible day. And then he begins to think of all of the ways that he can manipulate his knowledge. The the day happens exactly the same way every day, except for the ways that he influences it. So he knows exactly when the armored truck is going to be unguarded and he can take a whole bag of money and go where he wants to go. Uh, And he does everything he can to exploit his knowledge of exactly what is going to happen. But after a lot of comedic relief and Bill Murray's frustration... And living into his worst impulses, something unexpected begins to happen. Bill Murray's character begins to improve. He finds a way to help a number of people that he's seen living this day over and over again so that he can help them in whatever they need. He learns to play piano, he begins to learn French poetry. At first, he does this to try to take advantage of a woman, but eventually, he actually learns to care for all of the people that are in this day that he's living over and over again. He learns the stories of the people in this town that he despises. And by the end of the movie, the way that he escapes living this worst day over and over again is that he becomes the sort of person, a good person that is caring for everybody around. For Bill Murray, there is grace in waiting, because it is a chance for him to improve. And all of us in the church, we live in this time between Jesus' first coming when he died and rose again, when he conquered sin and death, when he surprised Satan and rose from the dead, and, and rose into heaven, ascended into heaven, and seated at the right hand of the Father. We live between that time and the time when everything is well. Tomorrow is Veterans Day, and it's Veterans Day because it's the celebration of the armistice of World War I. But there are lots of stories in history of, of times when a peace treaty was signed and the word didn't get out to the to the far edges of the battlefield. And the battles actually happened after the peace was signed. And that's the time that we live in in the church. Jesus has won the victory, but not everybody is informed of that yet. And so we still live in an area where there is spiritual warfare. Paul says, if anybody tells you that everything is as it should be, they are lying to you and do not listen to them. But look forward to a day when Jesus himself reigns in the completion of his power, when all of his truth is known, when he banishes all lawlessness, and when all who are worthy of his kingdom by his grace are welcomed in, holy and ready to live in a world at peace. In the meantime, it might seem like all of our days are the same. It might seem like the drudgery of the same day over and over again. We wake up and we have the same problems, we experience the same struggles, we have the same desires that we wish we didn't have, the same sin keeps cropping up in ourselves and in the lives of others. We have the same people with the same quirks, some of which we love and some which just annoy us. And day after day, it seems like all we're doing is waiting and we have no idea why Jesus hasn't come back. And even if it's not that your days all feel the same, At some point it happens. As summer turns to fall, as year turns into year, you wonder what's the difference in this year and the year before. And we begin to wonder why we are here, why we are living the way that we are, what are we doing with our lives, and what should be most important? Who should we be? And part of the question that we don't always like to ask is, How soon will Jesus be back? This is a crucial question for the church throughout the last 2,000 years, and not because we have an exact answer. If anybody tells you they know the date, they're a liar. But we have to keep the return of Jesus in proper perspective. Paul points this out by saying some people are saying it's already happened, and then we know other people who think it'll never happen, and they can just live however they please. And we in the church only know one word to describe the coming of Jesus, that it's going to be soon. And so the early church thought that that was going to be before most of the original disciples died. And now here we are 2,000 years later, and we're asking, what is the meaning of soon? And it could be today. It could be before I finish my sermon. And it could be another 2,000 years in the future or more, because... Time to God is not the same as time to us. But this question that was crucial for the early church is just as crucial for us, not because we have an answer, but because we need to know how to wait. We need to wait in a way that recognizes that God's grace is at work in the world, preparing us to live in the world that he is already creating. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, when he talked about waiting for the coming of the Lord, he had very simple instructions for how to do that. He said, wait in the means of grace. And that might be a phrase that's not very familiar to you, but he means the basics of Christian spiritual discipline. To spend your time in prayer. To spend time searching the scriptures alone and with others. To fast. To be available and participate in the sacraments of the Lord as often as they are offered. To fellowship richly with other Christians, not just to eat a meal and talk about the weather, but to talk about the things of God and how God is at work in your life with other Christians. To offer yourself in caring for others by giving alms to the poor, by serving your neighbor, by loving all of the people around you and giving to charity. And all of these things are communal and personal work. And this is what we do as we wait for the return of the Lord. For Bill Murray and Groundhog Day, there was grace in waiting, in the repetition, in the chance to get it right, in the opportunity to improve day after day after day until he was ready. And the same is true for us if God has saved us, if God has made us participants in his glory, if Jesus is returning to set all lawlessness aside with just his breath and the coming of his glory, if everything that does not love truth and worship God will be set aside, even in singular days or weeks or months of misery or grief or pain or loss, There is grace in the waiting. There is an opportunity for God's grace to continue to work on us, to prepare us to live in the world that Jesus is making for us. There is grace in the waiting because we have another day to grow, to improve, to draw near to Jesus, to have our faith strengthened, to become the sort of people who love the truth, to become the sort of people who do not believe lies, To become the sort of people who do the deeds that Christ has called us to do. To become the sort of people who abhor lawlessness. By God's grace at work in us, we can be freed from sin and prepared for the arrival of Jesus. This isn't something that we do on our own, but it's something that God's grace does in us as we live day after day and draw nearer to Christ himself. So that when the day comes, when Christ comes and sets aside all of the world's idols and all of the things that the world worships, we don't feel pain over that because we are looking to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who is worthy of our worship. We wait until he takes his place in the temple of the Lord to reign. There is grace in the waiting. So I want to ask you today, are you going to spend your days seeking the things that will not satisfy you? The things that Jesus is going to banish from the face of the earth that will be dispelled by the simple breath of God and by the glory of his presence? Or will you spend your days preparing for the arrival of the one who has loved you to the point of death, giving his life so that you might have life and who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Will you embrace the grace available to you in the waiting until he comes again and rules in righteousness, in peace, in grace, and in mercy? Will you pray with me? Or we confess that sometimes the waiting is hard. We confess that the things that happen to us as we wait, as this battle plays itself out is deeply difficult. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the grace that we need in the waiting to set our eyes on you, to form us, to sanctify us, so that we can believe your truth and that we can live according to your commands. We pray that we would pursue the things that you value, so that when the world is set by your terms, we will know what it is to be at home. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. For the church say, amen. amen.